Chapter Sixteen of Peveril of the Peak by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Acosto, can she not speak? Oswald, if speech be only in accented sounds framed by the tongue and lips, the maiden's dumb. But if by quick and apprehensive look by motion sign and glance to give each meaning express as clothed in language be termed speech she hath that wondrous faculty for her eyes like the bright stars of heaven can hold discourse though it be mute and soundless old play at the head of the first flight of steps which descended towards the difficult and well-defended entrance of the castle of home peel peveril was met and stopped by the countess's train-bearer this little creature for she was of the least and slightest size of womankind was exquisitely well formed in all her limbs which the dress she usually wore a green silk tunic of a peculiar form set off to the best advantage her face was darker than the usual hue of europeans and the profusion of long and silken hair which when she undid the braids in which she commonly wore it fell down almost to her ankles was also rather a foreign attribute her countenance resembled a most beautiful miniature and there was a quickness decision and fire in fenella's look and especially in her eyes which was probably rendered yet more alert and acute because through the imperfection of her other organs it was only by sight that she could obtain information of what passed around her the pretty mute was mistress of many little accomplishments which the countess had caused to be taught to her in compassion for her forlorn situation and which she learned with the most surprising quickness thus for example she was exquisite in the use of the needle and so ready and ingenious a draughtswoman that like the ancient mexicans she sometimes made a hasty sketch with her pencil the means of conveying her ideas either by direct or emblematical representation above all in the art of ornamental writing much studied at that period fenella was so great a proficient as to rival the fame of messrs snow shelley and other masters of the pen whose copy-books preserved in the libraries of the curious still show the artist smiling on the frontispiece in all the honours of flowing gowns and full-bottomed wigs to the eternal glory of calligraphy the little maiden had besides these accomplishments much ready wit and acuteness of intellect with lady derby and with the two young gentlemen she was a great favourite and used much freedom in conversing with them by means of a system of signs which had been gradually established amongst them and which served all ordinary purposes of communication 
but though happy in the indulgence and favour of her mistress from whom indeed she was seldom separate fenella was by no means a favourite with the rest of the household in fact it seemed that her temper exasperated perhaps by a sense of her misfortune was by no means equal to her abilities she was very haughty in her demeanour even towards the upper domestics who in that establishment were of a much higher rank and better birth than in the families of the nobility in general these often complained not only of her pride and reserve but of her high and irascible temper and vindictive disposition her passionate propensity had been indeed idly encouraged by the young men and particularly by the earl who sometimes amused himself with teasing her that he might enjoy the various singular motions and murmurs by which she expressed her resentment towards him these were of course only petulant and whimsical indications of pettish anger but when she was angry with others of inferior degree before whom she did not control herself the expression of her passion unable to display itself in language had something even frightful so singular were the tones contortions and gestures to which she had recourse the lower domestics to whom she was liberal almost beyond her apparent means observed her with much deference and respect but much more from fear than from any real attachment for the caprices of her temper displayed themselves even in her gifts and those who most frequently shared her bounty seemed by no means assured of the benevolence of the motives which dictated her liberality all these peculiarities led to a conclusion consonant with manx superstition devout believers in all the legends of fairies so dear to the celtic tribes the manx people held it for certainty that the elves were in the habit of carrying off mortal children before baptism and leaving in the cradle of the new-born babe one of their own brood which was almost always imperfect in some one or other of the organs proper to humanity such a being they conceived fenella to be and the smallness of her size her dark complexion her long locks of silken hair the singularity of her manners and tones as well as the caprices of her temper were to their thinking all attributes of the irritable fickle and dangerous race from which they supposed her to be sprung and it seemed that although no jest appeared to offend her more than when lord derby called her in sport the elfin queen or otherwise alluded to her supposed connection with the pygmy folk yet still her perpetually affecting to wear the colour of green proper to the fairies as well as some other peculiarities seemed voluntarily assumed by her in order to countenance the superstition perhaps because it gave her more authority among the lower orders many were the tales circulated respecting the countess's elf as fenella was currently called in the island and the malcontents of the stricter persuasion were convinced that no one but a papist and a malignant 
would have kept near her person a creature of such doubtful origin they conceived that fenella's deafness and dumbness were only towards those of this world and that she had been heard talking and singing and laughing most elvishly with the invisibles of her own race they alleged also that she had a double a sort of apparition resembling her which slept in the countess's ante-room or bore her train or wrought in her cabinet while the real fenella joined the song of the mermaids on the moonlit sands or the dance of the fairies in the haunted valley of glenmoy or on the heights of snaffel and barul the sentinels too would have sworn they had seen the little maiden trip past them in their solitary night walks without their having it in their power to challenge her any more than if they had been as mute as herself to all this mass of absurdities the better informed paid no more attention than to the usual idle exaggerations of the vulgar which so frequently connect that which is unusual with what is supernatural such in form and habits was the little female who holding in her hand a small old-fashioned ebony rod which might have passed for a divining wand confronted julian on the top of the flight of steps which led down the rock from the castle court we ought to observe that as julian's manner to the unfortunate girl had been always gentle and free from those teasing jests in which his gay friend indulged with less regard to the peculiarity of her situation and feelings so fenella on her part had usually shown much greater deference to him than to any of the household her mistress the countess always excepted on the present occasion planting herself in the very midst of the narrow descent so as to make it impossible for peveril to pass by her she proceeded to put him to the question by a series of gestures which we will endeavour to describe she commenced by extending her hand slightly accompanied with the sharp inquisitive look which served her as a note of interrogation this was meant as an inquiry whether he was going to a distance julian in reply extended his arm more than half to intimate that the distance was considerable fenella looked grave shook her head and pointed to the countess's window which was visible from the spot where they stood peveril smiled and nodded to intimate there was no danger in quitting her mistress for a short space the little maiden next touched an eagle's feather which she wore in her hair a sign which she usually employed to designate the earl and then looked inquisitively at julian once more as if to say goes he with you peveril shook his head and somewhat wearied by these interrogatories smiled and made an effort to pass fenella frowned struck the end of her ebony rod perpendicularly on the ground and again shook her head as if opposing his departure but finding that julian persevered in his purpose she suddenly assumed another and milder mood held him by the skirt of his cloak with one hand and raised the other in an imploring attitude 
whilst every feature of her lively countenance was composed into the like expression of supplication and the fire of the large dark eyes which seemed in general so keen and piercing as almost to over-animate the little sphere to which they belonged seemed quenched for the moment in the large drops which hung on her long eyelashes but without falling julian peveril was far from being void of sympathy towards the poor girl whose motives in opposing his departure appeared to be her affectionate apprehension for her mistress's safety he endeavoured to reassure by smiles and at the same time by such signs as he could devise to intimate that there was no danger and that he would return presently and having succeeded in extricating his cloak from her grasp and in passing her on the stair he began to descend the steps as speedily as he could in order to avoid farther importunity but with activity much greater than his the dumb maiden hastened to intercept him and succeeded by throwing herself at the imminent risk of life and limb a second time into the pass which he was descending so as to interrupt his purpose in order to achieve this she was obliged to let herself drop a considerable height from the wall of a small flanking battery where two patereros were placed to scour the pass in case any enemy could have mounted so high julian had scarce time to shudder at her purpose as he beheld her about to spring from the parapet ere like a thing of gossamer she stood light and uninjured on the rocky platform below he endeavoured by the gravity of his look and gesture to make her understand how much he blamed her rashness but the reproof though obviously quite intelligible was entirely thrown away a hasty wave of her hand intimated how she contemned the danger and the remonstrance while at the same time she instantly resumed with more eagerness than before the earnest and impressive gestures by which she endeavoured to detain him in the fortress julian was somewhat staggered by her pertinacity is it possible he thought that any danger can approach the countess of which this poor maiden has by the extreme acuteness of her observation obtained knowledge which has escaped others he signed to fenella hastily to give him the tablets and the pencil which she usually carried with her and wrote on them the question is there danger near to your mistress that you thus stop me there is danger around the countess was the answer instantly written down but there is much more in your own purpose how what what know you of my purpose said julian forgetting in his surprise that the party he addressed had neither ear to comprehend nor voice to reply to uttered language she had regained her book in the meantime and sketched with a rapid pencil on one of the leaves a scene which she showed to julian to his infinite surprise he recognized goddard croven's stone a remarkable monument of which she had given the outline with sufficient accuracy together with a male and female figure 
which though only indicated by a few slight touches of the pencil bore yet he thought some resemblance to himself and alice bridgenorth when he had gazed on the sketch for an instant with surprise fenella took the book from his hand laid her finger upon the drawing and slowly and sternly shook her head with a frown which seemed to prohibit the meeting which was there represented julian however though disconcerted was in no shape disposed to submit to the authority of his monitress by whatever means she who so seldom stirred from the countess's apartment had become acquainted with a secret which he thought entirely his own he esteemed it the more necessary to keep the appointed rendezvous that he might learn from alice if possible how the secret had transpired he had also formed the intention of seeking out bridgenorth entertaining an idea that a person so reasonable and calm as he had shown himself in their late conference might be persuaded when he understood that the countess was aware of his intrigues to put an end to her danger and his own by withdrawing from the island and could he succeed in this point he should at once he thought render a material benefit to the father of his beloved alice remove the earl from his state of anxiety save the countess from a second time putting her feudal jurisdiction in opposition to that of the crown of england and secure quiet possession of the island to her and her family with this scheme of meditation on his mind peveril determined to rid himself of the opposition of fenella to his departure with less ceremony than he had hitherto observed towards her and suddenly lifting up the damsel in his arms before she was aware of his purpose he turned about set her down on the steps above him and began to descend the pass himself as speedily as possible it was then that the dumb maiden gave full course to the vehemence of her disposition and clapping her hands repeatedly expressed her displeasure in sound or rather a shriek so extremely dissonant that it resembled more the cry of a wild creature than anything which could have been uttered by female organs peveril was so astounded at the scream as it rung through the living rocks that he could not help stopping and looking back in alarm to satisfy himself that she had not sustained some injury he saw her however perfectly safe though her face seemed inflamed and distorted with passion she stamped at him with her foot shook her clenched hand and turning her back upon him without further ado ran up the rude steps as lightly as a kid could have tripped up that rugged ascent and paused for a moment at the summit of the first flight julian could feel nothing but wonder and compassion for the impotent passion of a being so unfortunately circumstanced cut off as it were from the rest of mankind and incapable of receiving in childhood that moral discipline which teaches us mastery of our wayward passions 
ere yet they have attained their meridian strength and violence he waved his hand to her in token of amicable farewell but she only replied by once more menacing him with her little hand clenched and then ascending the rocky staircase with almost preternatural speed was soon out of sight julian on his part gave no farther consideration to her conduct or its motives but hastening to the village on the mainland where the stables of the castle were situated he again took his palfrey from the stall and was soon mounted and on his way to the appointed place of rendezvous much marvelling as he ambled forward with speed far greater than was promised by the diminutive size of the animal he was mounted on what could have happened to produce so great a change in alice's conduct towards him that in place of enjoining his absence as usual or recommending his departure from the island she should now voluntarily invite him to a meeting under impression of the various doubts which succeeded each other in his imagination he sometimes pressed fairy's side with his legs sometimes laid his holly-rod lightly on her neck sometimes incited her by his voice for the mettled animal needed neither whip nor spur and achieved the distance between the castle of holm peel and the stone at goddard croven at the rate of twelve miles within the hour the monumental stone designed to commemorate some feat of an ancient king of man which had been long forgotten was erected on the side of a narrow lonely valley or rather glen secluded from observation by the steepness of its banks upon a projection of which stood the tall shapeless solitary rock frowning like a shrouded giant over the brawling of the small rivulet which watered the ravine End of chapter 16